Teen fighting leads to tragedy. A 15-year-old boy has now died from the injuries sustained. Charges laid against a younger suspect while a memorial to the victim grows. Outrage after a suspected murderer walks free. I have absolute zero faith in the justice system and I probably never will. Family of a murder victim speaks out after I hit mishandled evidence and the case collapsed. And the heat is on in healthcare. They have whole families who are admitted to hospital. Why we're still a long way from circuit breaker success. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A 15-year-old boy is dead and a 14-year-old is now facing a weapons charge following a fatal stabbing Saturday afternoon. It happened on Vancouver's west side following a fight between two groups of teens. And police are now asking any witnesses to come forward. Grace Key has the latest. Throughout the day, people brought flowers to Vancouver's Almond Park in memory of a young 15-year-old boy who tragically lost his life in a fight. This father and son remembered the young man's generosity. I forgot my sweater at school or something. I'm at home and, I don't know, he just kind of gave me his sweater because he was hot and I just was cold. But he was all, overall just a good person. I just want my kid to, to understand that it could be anybody, you know? It's, it's, it could be anybody's kid. You don't want that as a parent. Police say just after 1.30 Saturday in the afternoon, they were called to the area of Dunbar and West 13th for an altercation involving two groups of teens. The 15-year-old was stabbed in the chest and collapsed. A 14-year-old boy was arrested and charged with possession of a weapon. Neither can be named because they are youths. This incident, we believe, involved two groups of people that were known to each other. We do not believe there is an ongoing and imminent risk to anybody else in the community. A GoFundMe page has been set up to raise money for his mother. It's already raised more than $20,000. One person writes, whether we were playing soccer, making jokes, or getting into arguments, you always managed to put a smile on my face. A teacher writes, I can still see him jumping around and telling me crazy stories. When he laughed, it was with all his soul. I will always remember that laugh. As police continue their investigation into the stabbing, more charges could be expected. Grace Key, Global News. Now, this teen tragedy comes as the Vancouver School Board is deciding tonight whether or not to keep the school liaison officer program. Aaron MacArthur is live outside the VSP for us tonight. Aaron, supporters of the SLO program say this is an example of how police officers in schools could potentially help, but not everyone feels their presence is positive. No, that's right, Chris, especially people in the BIPOC community. You know, the SLO, the intention of the SLO program was to foster a sense of security and safety inside schools. But as we've seen historically, police tend to over-police people of color. And racialized students and parents of racialized students say that these kids can't feel safe as long as there are police officers inside the schools. It's more important now than ever to stand together and to stand beside BIPOC youth. They're telling us that this program is harmful, that their voices have been ignored, and that police do not belong in schools. And it's time for the school board to listen to them. By and large, our officers are there um, to provide valuable guidance and mentorship 
to young people in schools. And, and these are young people who are at a very, um, can be at a very tenuous uh, time in their lives. We're open to working with uh, the school district to, uh, um, to evolve and better the program. Now, this is certainly not a cut and dried issue. There was a survey done of students and there were opinions all in, in, throughout the spectrum on whether police should be in schools. And the VSB will take a look at that tonight before they vote. And this is an issue that is North America wide right now. The VSB looking at this tonight. The New Westminster School District is going to be looking at it tomorrow night as well. Chris, Sophie. All right. We'll stay on top of it. Thanks very much, Aaron. On April 27, 2011, newlywed Munbir Kajla was shot and killed when he left his vehicle to speak to another driver involved in a fender bender. Tonight, Kajla's family is speaking out after the case against the man charged with murder fell apart. As Romina Dea reports, the judge found the integrated homicide investigation team disregarded the law when it came to how it handled crucial evidence. Look at this thing. Come on, come a giant teddy bear. 30-year-old Manbir Kajla, worshipped by his nephews and nieces. Caring, smart, funny, handsome, brave. Twins Hannah and Amrita, only two years old, when their uncle, an innocent man, was murdered a decade ago. Is there anything you want to you tell me about him? <laughs> it's okay. Before how good training was going. Generations crushed by grief when Kajla, a blueberry farmer from Delta, yeah. was killed. My brother did what any one of us would have done in that situation, which is to get out of his vehicle and exchange information. Kajla and his new bride married the morning of April 27th, 2011. Hours later, he's in a fender bender in Surrey. If the public listens to this audio, they will see that he hit my brother's vehicle. When my brother was approaching him, you can clearly hear him say he's going to kill him. Then in the, in the background, you hear him chambering bullets and rounds into his gun. And in the audio, uh, says, yo, what? And my brother said, you hit me. And then, he, and then all you hear him saying, no, 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 hold on. He goes, you hear saying, no, 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 I didn't. Hold on. And then you hear him put two bullets into my brother's heart. The powerful audio evidence played in court was captured on an iPhone from a pocket dial. It does not identify the shooter. The phone seized by police from Samandeep Gill's house, according to court records. This was the crux of Crown's case, but it was thrown out in March because of egregious and flagrant conduct by IHIT over years, said Justice Masuhara. The evidence held for nearly seven years illegally, violating the accused's charter rights. As a result, Gill was acquitted last month of the second-degree murder of Kajla and attempted murder of his wife. I couldn't believe it. It made me sick to my stomach that something like this can happen. I just, I didn't know what to say. I, you know, it's, we expected so much. We were promised so much. We tried to help the Crown as much as we could. We, we offered half a million dollar reward for information. They said we didn't need to do that. We have all we need. To give us hope. Yeah, and to, and then And then to snatch it away, it's, it's gut-wrenching. 
Court evidence revealed IHIT was warned by three senior counsel, including their own RCMP lawyer, back in 2007, that officers should not be ignoring Section 490 of the Criminal Code, which states police must get an extension order if they want to hold evidence beyond 90 days. This is bigger than Manbeer. This is bigger than my brother. This is about a lot of criminals getting off scot-free for a mistake or an insight, whatever I had chose not to do. Despite the warnings, the practice of not complying with 490 continued, raising serious questions about the potential ramifications on hundreds of homicide files in the province. Yes, we're upset about our brother's case. What worries me even more, Ramina, is that every time sec- there was a Section 490 breach that I hit did, there will be another family sitting in front of you guys, and there will be another family that are in the same position. I think the law needs to change. Three branches of justice failed. It, just, it wasn't just I hit that failed here. It was every single one of them because they've given the rights to the criminal. And they have... My brother had no rights. In my heart, we need justice, says Kajla's father. The family wants the case appealed. A decision has not been made. This case, plus many others, currently under review by an independent prosecutor, ordered by the Attorney General. Romina Dea, Global News. All right, we have some breaking news for you. RCMP are responding to another brazen broad daylight shooting, this time at Coquitlam Centre late this afternoon. We'll give you a look at it live right now uh, from Global One. Police taped off a portion of the parking lot over the past hour next to the Garden Centre. And there is a vehicle stopped in the intersection near there. An officer at the scene confirms shots were fired in the busy shopping area and that one person received minor injuries. We reached out to mall security who confirmed the mall and businesses remained open. No word from police so far on a suspect or if there's any wider threat to public safety. But if we get any more information, we'll pass it along to you. Now, B.C. health officials confirmed today that an infant in the Interior Health Authority died of COVID-19 back in January. That is the youngest death from the virus to date. It comes as cases in B.C. are starting to show a downward trend. We've had 2,491 new cases over the last three days, with the past 24 hours posting fewer than 800. There are just shy of 8,200 active cases right now, with 484 people in hospital. 158 in the ICU. More than 12,000 people are in self-isolation. Sadly, we have had 17 more deaths. And more than 1.5 million people, or about 36% of eligible British Columbians, have had at least one shot. Keith Baldry joins us with more now. Keith, it's only been a week since the restrictions were extended mm-hmm. on that so-called circuit breaker. Uh, what kind of trends have we been seeing so far? Well, some encouraging trends on some key uh, health indicators. We've ended last week showing that the aerials were pointing in the right direction on on a couple of the key indicators, and they continue to do so after the weekend cases are in. So take a look at where we've been heading on those key uh, categories. Our active cases, our daily cases are down now 14% since the circuit breaker was extended. The active cases are down 12% as well. And self-isolation people uh, are down 16% as the number of people in self-isolation continues to drop, I think, 
partly according to Dr. Bonnie Henry, because contact tracers are picking up the fact that we all have less contacts right now. That's why the daily case numbers are going down, the active numbers are down, and people in self-isolation are down as well. But it, again, it's too early to take our foot off the pedal. Here's Dr. Henry. Since we have put in the suite of measures that we did uh, uh, a number of weeks ago, and, uh, and increasingly people have um, decreased the number of social contacts they've had, no matter what context that was in, we are still seeing that transmission is primarily related to social connections in people's homes, um, where they have groups of people over, when they're meeting with groups of people indoors. So it's not all good news, though, Sophie. The number of people going to hospital continues to increase. There were more than 200 people in hospital uh, from Friday till uh, this morning, the reporting period. But a lot of people came out of hospital. That's why the number actually only went down by two. But the number of people admitted to hospital went up by quite a bit. And we're going to be keeping an eye on that troubling statistic in the weeks ahead. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. The B.C. government has unveiled more help for businesses that have been hit by the latest circuit breaker measures to slow the spread of COVID-19. Victoria is offering up an extra $75 million. But as Richard Zussman reports, not all businesses will qualify. The beds made, doors open. Problem is, no visitors at Marquetta's Bed and Breakfast in Victoria. It's very sad because, you know, I like to keep people employed. The province's ban on non-essential travel, just another blow to the province's accommodation sector. We need to be safe, but it is very, very stressful for business operators. And obviously we have bills and mortgages. But help is on the way. The 5,300 hotels, motels, and other short-term rentals in B.C. now eligible for the province's circuit breaker grant. There was $20 million on the table, with a maximum of $20,000 per B.C.-owned and operated business. Every day, our government is assessing, reassessing, and pivoting to ensure that B.C. businesses have the supports and funding they need to make it through these extraordinary times. Well, of course, it's nowhere near enough but it's a great starting point. Only accommodations who cancel bookings from those now not supposed to travel can receive the grant. I'm not sure that the industry really needed a lot of encouragement because if we don't get this virus capped and if the numbers don't go down, we're faced with continued hardship. This includes VRBO and Airbnb operators, but they have to register as a business. At the same time, the province is doubling what restaurants and high-intensity fitness gyms can receive as support. The B.C. Liberals say even this falls short. The circuit breaker grant, a one-time grant, on average, a small business is, gonna, is only going to get $10,000. Barely covers the costs related to setting up a patio. Then there are the businesses who have been ordered closed. 32 businesses in Fraser Health shuttered in the last week due to a workplace COVID transmission. Businesses that have been shut down uh, due to um, uh, outbreaks on their facilities can access the Small Business Recovery Grant Program. Back at Marquetta's, the hope is the money will be enough to get through to a point where guests will be welcomed back here with open arms from across B.C. and beyond. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Startling testimony again at the Cullen Inquiry. B.C.'s Attorney General describes how he learned the extent of money laundering through B.C. casinos when he had been told for years that it was basically impossible. That's next on the News Hour. 
The tiny creature holding up construction of the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion coming up on the news hour. And you know about the Pfizer vaccine, but did you know the man who invented the formula lives in B.C.? What he says about it later. But first, B.C.'s current attorney general testifying at the Cullen Commission into money laundering, the inquiry he called for. David Eby's testimony covers his time as the opposition critic for gaming when he was told for years it was virtually impossible to filter money through casinos until, as John Hua reports, Eby learned the disturbing truth. In 2015, the amount of suspicious cash being reported in B.C. casinos was on a meteoric rise. But when then-opposition critic for gaming David Eby was offered a tour of the River Rock, he said the B.C. Lottery Corporation's message was money laundering was not a concern. The discussion was that there, um, it was functionally impossible to launder money through B.C. casinos because of all the safeguards in place. Fast forward to 2017 when a change in provincial government made E.B. the minister in charge. Now B.C.'s Attorney General, E.B. told the commission in his initial briefings, B.C.L.C.'s story hadn't changed. Okay, were you left with the impression that there was any level of concern about uh, the issue of suspicious cash entry casinos and the potential that British Columbia casinos might be used to launder proceeds of crime? No, just the opposite. But the briefing with the gaming regulator took on a completely different tone. And here I was being told that not only was it possible, uh, but it was happening and it was ongoing. That's when EB was first shown videos of bags of cash being dumped at the casino cash cages. And it was explained dirty money could still be laundered even when high rollers lost, because the debt would be repaid one way or another. The core of it being that GPEB wanted more severe restrictions and that the BC Lottery Corporation did not. The difference in perspectives between BCLC and GPEB led EB to hire Peter German to review the issue and try to bridge the gap. I had um, difficulty understanding uh, which of the organizations I could turn to and rely on in terms of the best recommendations going forward. Despite a concern that dirty money might still be making its way into BC casinos, EB told the commission allowing German the time to deal with the issue was a justified delay in action. I was concerned about that, but I was uh, equally concerned uh, that the actions that I took uh, might have unintended consequences. EB also faced questions on whether Peter German may have been too close to the issue as a senior RCMP official when key policing decisions around casinos were made. So did you consider whether, uh, given the positions he had held in the RCMP at relevant times, he might be perceived by some to have a conflict of interest? Uh, yes. E.B. adding he was also aware German may have had previous training contracts with both BCLC and GPEP. The need to possibly scrutinize a former employer not seen as an issue. I selected Dr. German because he had that knowledge, because he had those connections. In cross-examination, E.B. was pressed on his criticism of the BCLC and public statements that the previous government turned a blind eye. In hindsight's always twenty twenty. Or usually well, it's... Well, I didn't... Uh, Mr. Smart, with respect, I, I didn't need hindsight with respect to the proceeds of crime allegedly coming into BC casinos. But looking back, EB added if any efforts were made to stop BC casinos from becoming hotbeds for money laundering, publicly denying there was a problem certainly didn't help. John Hua, Global News. Up ahead, all's quiet in BC's Lakeside Playground. I'm uh, not going to lie, it's, uh, it's difficult times.
With travel restrictions in place, what could be the opportunity of a lifetime for locals? But first, B.C. families concerned about the increasingly desperate pandemic situation in India. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Patello Bridge with just some minor delays southbound down McBride through the Queen's Park stretch in New Westminster. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. The COVID crisis in India is being felt by many here in B.C. Our province's large South Asian population is watching with concern as case counts there skyrocket. Amadagahi now with how attitudes about the pandemic may be helping fan the flames. The pictures displaying India's COVID crisis are more horrifying with every passing day. Hospitals are overrun with patients who, despite grasping for oxygen, are at times left on the street. Some dying in public in front of grieving families. India's pandemic has taken the most tragic of turns. Monday saw more than 352,000 new COVID cases and more than 2,800 deaths. And there are those who think that those numbers, as frightening as they may be, may not capture the entire story. Very concerned. Um, for, the, for the reason is I don't think they have access to Medicare like we do. Harminder Gill of Mission is concerned for his cousins and nieces, while Suri's Diljot Singh, separated from his mother, is thankful because of her recent vaccination. In my immediate family, uh, it's only me and my mother, so uh, she's alone uh, in India, I'm alone over here. Fear is still there, but I am so grateful that they uh, got their vaccine. There are many questions surrounding India's second wave. Officials perhaps lifting lockdowns as COVID variants emerged. And those familiar with the attitudes of many in that country point to a reluctancy by some to buy in and accept the virus as a serious threat. In a country like India, that you know, people are in rural cities, small villages, big cities, it's, I'm sure, a very difficult task to get everyone to agree that these are the needs of the day and to follow through with them. I think that's been India's biggest challenge. People are pretty skeptic and they're still saying that this is a propaganda, there's no, th no such thing as COVID. Canada has imposed a 30-day ban on incoming passenger flights from India and the federal government says it can help that country with masks and ventilators. Meanwhile, the B1617 variant, first detected in India, has also been linked to dozens of cases in BC. Imadagahi, Global News. We are coming up on that time of year when tourists start flocking to the Okanagan, but that is not the case so far this season. BC's new travel restrictions have put a lot of plans on hold, and that has tourism operators getting creative to lure locals instead. Claudia's, or sorry, Global's Claudia Van Emmerich explains. It's a parking lot that would normally start filling up with out-of-town visitors, but not this season, at least not yet. I'm not going to lie, it's, uh, it's difficult times. BC's new travel ban is keeping many would-be tourists away from the Okanagan as hotels and resorts like the El Dorado and Manteo see many of their bookings cancelled. just adds another level of, of complexity already to a difficult situation. And, and like everybody else, we're just trying to you know, think of what are some of the great things that we could do to you know, attract more people locally. The resorts counting on local support more than ever before, hoping staycation packages entice local visitors. 
at the Oyama Lake Eco Lodge near Lake Country, cabins that are normally booked up months in advance are suddenly available. We've been getting a lot of cancellations. This is extremely unusual. Normally we, we book up well in advance. Owner Nikki Burdett saying the last minute availability giving locals the chance to explore their own backyard. There's a lot of lodges just like us, a lot of really cool places to check out. And uh, even though we can't travel right now, we can still uh, check out our, our surrounding resorts. The new travel ban will be in effect until at least after the May long weekend in an aim to deter out-of-province travel as well as BC vacationers from outside of the health region. And with the Okanagan being such a huge vacation destination among lower mainland residents and Albertans, tourism operators will no doubt be hit hard. There are very alarming impacts that we know going into the month of May, which we, we know business is typically growing at that time of year. We're very worried. But hopeful that local residents help fill the void by offering deals and incentives to promote local vacations. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News. Coming up, science worth celebrating. I got vaccinated yesterday with my own vaccine. The BC researcher and TikTok topic, who some consider the godfather of RNA vaccine technology. Also tonight, how a little hummingbird is holding up the Trans Mountain Pipeline project. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC, brought to you in part by the BCTF, our kids and their teachers, worth investing in. Counterflow is out and traffic is steady north and south over here at the Massey Tunnel. Keep in mind, overnight lane closures for maintenance between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Save time, shop online with Save on Foods. Then swing by for free curbside pickup or have it delivered to your door. Shop faster, shop easier in the Save on Foods app. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Construction on a key section of the multi-billion dollar Trans Mountain Pipeline project has been stopped, not because of a protest exactly, but because of the tiny little creatures that live there. They're called Anna's Hummingbirds, and several of their nests have been spotted along a work site in Burnaby. As Linda Ellsworth reports, their discovery means a costly delay in the contentious project. If the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion project is Goliath, then this would be David. I give thanks to these small birds whose nests can fit in the palm of your hand for having a part in stopping a multi-billion dollar pipeline. This is how the celebration of the temporary stoppage of construction held outside the Trans Mountain Tank Farm in Burnaby came to be. In February, we were noticing that Trans Mountain was cutting even though bird nesting season was starting. WE is the Community Nest Finding Network, a group of Burnaby residents which formed to make sure Trans Mountain was obeying the Migratory Birds Convention Act, which protects nesting birds. I, along with the wildlife officers, the federal wildlife officers, we witnessed the destruction of the nest by active cutting by Trans Mountain. The nest belonged to an Anna's hummingbird that the group had spotted a few days earlier. We, we looked over and saw a tree fall, and at which point the wildlife officer ordered the work to be stopped. Trans Mountain knows that destroying bird nests and eggs is illegal. One of its executives acknowledged it in an affidavit last year. Even so, 
There's a hummingbird nest right here and the wildlife barrier is down. That work will not be allowed to resume along the Brunette River until late August when nesting season is over. Isn't just to protect one hummingbird. We've got song sparrows, towhees, chickadees. Uh, there was a Pacific wren nest in there, but now it's a clear cut. Which means whatever happened to those nests will never be known. Unlike the hummingbird, which has bought those opposed to the expansion a little more time. we got to make good use of that time. We're here to protect the land. We're here to protect the hummingbirds. And we're here to protect the water. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. In health matters tonight, the Pfizer vaccine is, of course, one of the key weapons in global defenses against COVID-19. And although the shot isn't manufactured here, a breakthrough delivery formula was developed by researchers at UBC. Catherine Urquhart shows us how that discovery has put BC on the map as a leader in biotechnology. Across the country, we continue to roll up our sleeves and get vaccinated. A large percentage of Canadians will receive the Pfizer-BioNTech mRNA vaccine. Yet, few of us are aware that a critical component of the injection, how it's delivered, was developed at UBC. It's just unbelievable. To say we're excited really puts it extremely mildly. Dr. Peter Cullis co-founded the UBC spin-off company Acuitas Therapeutics, it was busy collaborating with BioNTech on a flu vaccine when the pandemic started. A COVID-19 vaccine became the priority. Within months, UBC's lipid nanoparticle technology was a key component of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. It's a testament uh, to basic uh, invest, investment in basic science in Canada uh, that we've been able to uh, really make a huge difference to global health. The stumbling block has always been how do you get that, that RNA into cells. So uh, the development from UBC of the nanoparticle encapsulation is the critical factor that allows that vaccine to work. Cullis is world-renowned and apparently fun-loving. Recently going along with a colleague who wanted to acknowledge his accomplishments in a TikTok video. Peter Cullis. This followed. We're here with Peter Cullis, unsung hero of the pandemic. Peter, what do you have to tell us today? Hi there, I'm Peter Cullis, and I got vaccinated yesterday with my own vaccine, and I recommend you do the same. As for Canada not getting more supply, despite UBC's contribution, Cullis says he believes that soon there will be an avalanche of vaccines. That avalanche due in part to his decades of medical research. For any scientist, uh, this is certainly the culmination of a dream. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Up next, the worldwide bike shortage. It's a little more challenging to buy a bike now. The factors making it a rough ride for many wannabe cyclists. And spring flooding hits communities near Christina Lake. The pictures next. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A torrent of water, mud, and debris has forced three families from their homes at Christina Lake. The Kootenay Boundary Emergency Operations Center says it appears that debris, perhaps created by beavers, had blocked a rain swollen creek in the hills above the east side of the lake. Overnight, that blockage gave way. No one was injured, but the three homes on Fife Road were damaged in the flood. The residents are being given temporary accommodations 
while the flood investigation takes place. The spring runoff is once again creating some problems on interior B.C. roadways. A temporary detour has been put in place to get around a washout that happened Thursday near the community of Horsefly, just east of Williams Lake. Motorists are being diverted along a gravel pit road while crews work to repair the damage over the next few weeks. Flooding forced the evacuation of four properties in that area over the weekend, and police are warning drivers to be cautious traveling through the interior at this time of year. With the spring melt and uh, snowpacks melting and can cause some washouts and, and, and sadly sometimes you may be on top of one before you even uh, realize there's one there. If you're heading that way, a detour through the community of Likely will add about 45 minutes to the drive. It's a likely story. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I couldn't help it. All right. uh, Time to check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at our forecast. It actually Mm -hmm. looks pretty nice out there, Christy. It sure is, Sophie. Now, there are some pretty dark and uh, tall clouds off in the distance there. That's across Vancouver Island. They had a number of showers there, and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, But tonight, it should be perfect for viewing the pink supermoon. Yes, pink supermoon tonight. So check it out. It is actually officially the full moon tomorrow, but you'll be able to see it tonight. So thank you to Tracy for this one. This is from last evening. Uh, She saw it in Williams Lake. Now, let's just quickly look at April so far, everyone. We are well below season for this time of year when we look at the rainfall really the bulk of the rainfall for the entire month happened over the weekend it was now well needed rain just poor timing of course 26 percent of the average amount of rain we would typically see through april happened uh over well most of it over the weekend we've had no snow and we're above seasonal in terms of temperature as well uh so that rainfall was really well welcome because it has been very dry not only in metro vancouver but right across the province in fact uh Kelowna has not reported any rainfall except for the two days, Saturday and Sunday. So that has improved the fire danger rating across southern BC. Now we are going to see a mostly dry day across southern BC tomorrow, but there's a system driving down from the north. Heavy rain expected across the north coast and snowfall for the far northern regions with 10 centimeters possible in areas like Fort St. John and Fort Nelson overnight. We're just on the southern edge of it, so we are expecting more cloud cover tomorrow. Not like what we're seeing today, that's for sure, and there's a very slight chance of showers, but for the most part, it looks like that moisture will stay north of us. There's your forecast for southern BC. We are going to see cloud cover across our region with showers just north of us into Powell River, Courtney, Comox, and Squamish. Uh, We should see that moisture push down into our region, though, at least by sort of overnight Tuesday into our Wednesday, but at least one more dry day, but not quite as sunny. It looks like today was the brightest so far this week. And I'll leave you with tonight's central windows, weather window, as I mentioned, showers in the Comox area today. So that meant a couple of beautiful rainbows. Thank you to Paul Weed for that. It's a great shot. Thanks, Christy. That's a winner. Speaking of wins, Squires here with a look ahead to sports. Yeah, the Canucks need wins, and wins are what they usually get when they play Ottawa. Blue line, Myers, left point, Yulevi with a wrist shot, scores! But even that rare only goal wasn't enough because it was Vancouver's only goal. Also tonight, the big bike shortage. How the pandemic is preventing would-be cyclists from getting in the game.
right, Squires here with uh, a look at sports. And the roster for the Canucks slightly depleted tonight. Yes, um, and hopefully it won't be depleted forever because you don't want to be going with only one goalie you trust. Uh, before the Canucks faced Ottawa this evening in Ottawa, they found out that goaltender Thatcher Demko had a lower body injury. So the Canucks said, he's out day to day. Now, remember when Elias Pettersson first got hurt and the Canucks said day to day? Man, it's a lot of days. Well, hopefully that's not the same thing with Thatcher Demko. So it was the Braden Holtby show tonight, and it will be his show until further notice. But he has been good since coming out of the Canucks pandemic pause, winning uh, all of his starts. Uh, his backup is someone who has only one minor league game. And there he is, Arthur Silov, a draft choice of the Canucks in 2019. All right. Nope, that's not a good pass by Nate Schmidt. Kachuk, Josh Norris, red light. one nothing for Ottawa as Nate Schmidt feels shame. And then testosterone overload between Jake Vertanen and Ryan Dezingle. Well, Vertanen fell on top of him first, so we'll give Vertanen a decision on that one. All right, Ole Olevi has scored two goals in his NHL career, both against Ottawa. There's the second one. Seeing shot, gets up to the top right-hand corner, beats Marcus Hogberg, and it is 1-1. Nils Hoaglander with a chance. No, he hit the post. Seconds later, Nils Hoaglander with a chance. He missed the net. And he takes a whack at the net. Second period, still 1-1. As you can see, Alex Edler's been on an awful long time. Canucks getting tired, and now they're picking the puck out of their net. Drake Batherson with the goal to make it 2-1. Check this out. Right before the end of the period, is it in? Is it? Just quick reaction. No. Hogberg just gets back there in time to save it before the end of the second period with the Canucks from the power play. More Hogbergs. Scrambly. Besser's there. Three Canucks are there, but the puck doesn't cross the line. Now the Canucks kind of get messed up here, and somehow Ryan Dezingle gets a breakaway, but luckily Braden Holpe is equal to the task. Keeps it 2-1. So Vancouver pulls Holpe. Here's their best chance with the net empty. Tanner Pearson, the shot. Kind of deflected there off Besser. Might have been a pass to Besser. Whatever the case, Canucks lose 2-1. And they'll play the Senators Wednesday afternoon, 2.30 hour time. All right, Montreal bringing out rookie Cole Caulfield for the first time. Best college player in America this past year. Didn't score tonight, but he was there to see Montreal beat the Flames. And that's big for them and not so big for the Canucks or Calgary. Shea Weber makes it 1-0 with the 5-on-3 goal then. Elias Lindholm ties it, but the man who makes Canuck fans wince every time he scores, Tyler Toffoli gets his own rebound, puts in another one, that's the winner. Montreal beats Calgary 2-1, so the Habs are 10 up on the Canucks with five games played. Well, five games more than Vancouver has played. Uh, Calgary lost defenseman Noah Hannafin. He's out the rest of the year because of shoulder surgery. Suffered an injury on Saturday. That's not good news for Calgary. He's one of their top four defensemen. Speaking of injuries, it looks like this hit from Jake Muzzin on Saturday night has put Jets forward Nick Ehlers out for the rest of the regular season. It's possibly a shoulder injury, officially upper body, but Winnipeg thinks Ehlers will be back for the playoffs. They need him. He has 21 goals this year. 
Well, this is sad news. Dick Mosier, one of the most accomplished coaches at UBC, died this past weekend at the age of 77. This guy was a winner. He coached both the UBC men's and women's soccer teams during various times during his career. He won six national titles with the men, three with the women. And if you combine all the teams he coached, both men's and women's soccer teams at UBC, his record was 244, 54, and 50. And if my math is right, that means that he won about 75% of all the games he coached. Okay, uh, Brad Keselowski won the uh, NASCAR Geico 500 yesterday at Talladega. But the luckiest driver on the track was Joey Logano, who survived his car flipping over at high speed during lap number 60. I'm going to show you a few versions of it. The last one is the one that will really bug you out. Here he is, goes airborne. Luckily, no one else hit him. And the car finds its way back on its wheels. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Went back on his wheels. Now, Logano is okay. Took a roll bar to the helmet, but that's, that's about it. But watch the next view you're going to see from Bubba Wallace's car. This looks like something out of the Fast and Furious. It's like something Vin Diesel would see in one of those movies. Watch the car coming right for him. There it is. And it just brushes over top of the car. So the stage. Amazing Incredible. stuff. Yeah, yep. It is. Amazing indeed. <laughs> cool. Thanks very much, Squire. What was the thought process when he saw that coming? All right. Here's Sarah McDonald now with a preview of Global News at 11. Sarah? Yeah, Chris, Sophie, we're keeping a close eye on that police incident unfolding in the Tri-Cities tonight. It's happening at Coquitlam Center, as you guys said earlier in the show, where part of the parking lot is behind police tape. The mall is still open, even though we are told at least one person has been injured in a shooting. We'll have the latest details tonight. Plus, should they stay or should they go? The debate over the school liaison officer program in Vancouver and the decision from the school board tonight. Plus, Squire joins us once again with all the latest sports highlights coming up at 11 guys all right sounds good thanks sarah all right still to come for us if you are looking to buy a bike right now you are on the wrong path we'll tell you why next a lot of residents happy about this close to two hundred fifty thousand dollars in upgrades to beach avenue in the west end are now complete they include improved pedestrian crossings safer concrete barriers along the bike path and bus boarding islands Last summer, Beach Avenue was the busiest cycling route in the city, regularly exceeding 10,000 trips each day. Also, as part of the upgrades, motor vehicle and bus traffic has been restored eastbound between Denman and Pacific. And we really hope you already have something to ride, because remember that shortage of bicycles last year where the pandemic was in its first couple of months? Turns out it's even worse this year. And as Ted Trenecki reports, even people who already own a bike could get caught up in the worldwide supply problems. As we ride the third wave of this cursed pandemic, one of, if not the best way to get safe exercise is riding a bike. But as we've reported last year, good luck finding one as many commuters continue to steer clear of public transit. Surely things are better now. It's tougher this year than it was last year. What we saw last year is nothing compared to what we're dealing with right now. Every day is a new uh, dumpster fire that needs putting out. This time last year, there was at least some inventory of bikes in warehouses. That's now gone. Even bicycle parts are on wait lists. And it's not just a problem for all dealers, but distributors and even manufacturers. 
So at the best of times, bicycle lead time to order a new bicycle from a manufacturer standpoint is about six months. Right now, we're staring down the barrel of almost two years in some cases. This pandemic has exposed some glaring weak links in our supply chain. Heavy demand has tripled the cost of renting one of those shipping containers. They're stacked too high and more are being lost at sea. In December and January this year, more than 2,675 containers were lost in five accidents. That's more than the annual average in just two months, according to the World Shipping Council. That affects all imports. And let's not forget about the Suez Canal blockage. It's not just us here in Vancouver. It is North American-wide. It is Europe-wide. It is worldwide. The Canada Border Services Union is also warning that the whole supply chain into Canada could be shut down if highly trained, frontline, unvaccinated agents get an outbreak of COVID. There's also an economic um, a reason to have us vaccinated because if any of this happens, it, it literally could shut down the, the supply lines into Canada. And adding to the demand side, last week's provincial budget announced the elimination of PST on e-bikes. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Well, there's always the Moby bikes. That's true. Can I get a bike with a banana seat? Do those still exist? I think they do. And we can put uh, streamers. My gosh. And, and playing cards in the spokes. You got to have those big handlebars. Oh, though. yeah. That yeah. was, that was rocking. Yeah. Nice day for a ride today. Lots of sunshine. It seemed like bonus sunshine. I don't know. Yes, you're right. We were expecting a bit more cloud cover today, but uh, as we talked about, there were a number of showers across Vancouver Island. Uh, This is about it, though, for this week. We're expecting much more cloud cover tomorrow, and it will be on and off rain throughout the week. And, uh, Squire, I would definitely take a double ride. (laughs) Really? Okay, I'm good at those. I want to see that. All right, thanks for watching, everyone. Good night, all.